0: I want you to say something after me. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. His time is not our time. Now, I told you to say that, but did you like saying those words? Or did you say it like when I tell my kids, hey, you hurt your brother, you go say sorry to him right now. Sorry. Did they like saying the words? Not necessarily. Hopefully, you hope hope they do. You they feel bad. Oh yeah, I did hurt them. Um, Or or did you say it like you know when you tell your teenager, "Hey, we're getting in the car. We're going to church this morning. Get up, out of bed, get in the car." Okay. Well, they did it because they you were they were told to do it. But hopefully, the kids come willingly. All right. So if if you really mean it. This time, say it again. His ways, His ways, are, not ways. are not our ways. His thoughts, His thoughts, are, not thoughts. are not our thoughts. His, time, His time, is our time is not our time. Now these two, th- th- this comes from scripture. Okay, it comes from Isaiah fifty-eight eight. I'm not just saying it, you know, like some pastors get up and, and, and do their thing before a, a sermon or anything. This is scripture. Isaiah fifty-five eight says, "For my thoughts are not your thoughts, not nor are your ways my ways," says the Lord. Also, Ecclesiastes three eleven. I love this. It says, "He has made everything beautiful in his time. It's time." Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. Wow. Can you, I mean, think. Of, yeah, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. Bottom line is we don't know. So these two verses demand faith on our parts. But do we like saying that? Do we really like saying his thoughts are not our thoughts, his ways are not our ways? Don't we want our ways to be his ways? <laughs> Sometimes do we pray that way? Oh, Lord, would you just make this happen the way I want it, when I want it? Uh, that's, not, that's not what he's about. He, he wants you to do it his way in his time. But here's the thing, if it demands faith, what are the causes of us not having faith? Let's look at a few of them on the, on, the, on the screens here. Well, selfishness, obviously, that's one that gets in the way of faith, of us relying on the Lord. I've got the idea, Lord. I know what is best for me. I got this. Don't need your help. I've got this, right? Opposite of faith. How about doubt? Oh, uh, no, he, he he can't make that happen, can he? That's too big. That's too big for God. I, I'm going to have to do this because it's such a big job. I doubt that it can be done. Wow, doubt. How about time? <laughs> I don't have time. I, I, I need it done now. I need it done yesterday. You know, interesting thing I, I, I thought about is Jesus told us to come to him like children. We have to teach children about time, don't we? <laughs> and how do we teach them? Hurry up! Get in the car! We gotta go! Come on! And usually it's a, 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 a hurry. And then they realize, well, why are you being like this? Because they don't understand time the way we understand. We're gonna be late! Okay, what does that mean? I, you know, they're learning these things. But, you know... you. you You know, some kids, you know, they don't know how to do the clock with the arms and all that. The digital clocks is what we have, so they're like, okay, these arms things. What's What's going on? Up until college, I didn't know there was two five a or five p five a m and a five p m. Right? There's two five o'clocks. Yeah, Um, we have to learn about time, right? And often when we teach it, it's it's the wrong way to teach about time because we want it. On our way, our schedule. And that can interrupt faith. If we just waited, oh, if we had just waited, God would have come through. But we jump the gun, and we take care of it ourselves. How about fear? I'm afraid of what it's going to cost me to trust that God will take care of this. Or God has a plan that I don't have... Man, it's so much easier when I've got the plan and I can line it up and I can know how to do it. But there's fear. You know, think about Peter getting out of the boat. And I think Peter, he wanted to jump out if he could. He could have done a cannonball and landed out there. He, I think he was excited. But there, you know, there can be a fear stepping out of your comfort zone and, 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 and putting full faith out there in the Lord and trusting the Lord. So... Faith, we're going to talk a little bit about that today, but there's words that we would associate with faith, right? Almost like peanut butter and jelly, um, you know, uh, cookies and cream, I'm, I'm going on foods here. Um, how about football and ravens, you know, I had, well, I had to, <laughs> sorry, sorry, I had to get that in there, I had to get that in there, sorry. Um, no, but there's just some words you associate with other words, faith has some words that you would associate with faith. How about faith and trust? Okay, faith and hope. Um, Faith and belief or conviction. Um, Faith, um, religion. All right, some people put that word with it. But have you ever associated the word with faith, the word authority? We don't really associate that word with faith, do we? That's kind of two separate things in our minds. But we're going to look and see how faith and authority go together um, today. I would believe, and, and I, I think you would agree with me, that in our day and age, our society, the word authority, we, we would probably tend to say our society you know, despises authority or rejects authority or is not too happy with authority. Um, you think of how do we talk to our bosses, or how do we talk about our bosses, um, how do we talk about the police, um, how do we talk about uh, the DMV, <laughs> all right, um, I don't know, but you know, when you, 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 who likes going to the DMV, all right, uh, we go to the DMV because we have to. And when we go, we we are dreading it. We know there's going to be a long wait. But when we get inside there, something in us says, okay, I've got to be on my good behavior because I don't want to get that little card that comes out and you see your number on the window that says Z, one million five hundred thousand thirty three. I don't want to get that number. So I'm going to be as nice as I can. What do I need to do? You know, and you're nice to these people. But then when you walk out of DMV, you know, uh, these people that are in authority over us how do we talk about people that are in government positions how do we talk about the president how do we How have we talked about past presidents you know people in authority I, I, you know in in our society we see oh the the kids nowadays you know they're just rejecting all sorts of authority there's this mentality that when you get to the age 18 you know woo i'm free right isn't that like in our minds we're all getting to that point of when can i be free when can i be in charge of me and that breeds a like not a fear of the lord which which the bible tells us to do right proverbs 9:10 says the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy one is understanding how do we look at God? Somehow it's like we, we want our freedom and occasionally we'll put God in authority sometimes when we need it. But in general, and, and, and here we are, the land of the free, right? So we got to be really careful. Though we're in a land of freedom, there still is an authority. And do, don't you see it in our nation? Are we stepping away from God's authority? Does our nation have a healthy fear of the Lord? I think we're getting to a point where, is there a God? There is no God. I don't need to bow to Him. We sang bow the knee earlier. I mean, is, are we in that society today? Of, of having a healthy fear of the Lord. And what I'm afraid of is our churches, if not careful, will go more the way of society. And they already have. You can see that churches are going in a, in a way of humanism. What feels good? What's good to us? Instead of the authoritative Word of God, we're seeing that. And it's scary. But we need to have the fear of the Lord because that's the beginning of wisdom. Do, do you have a healthy fear of the Lord? Does your home have a healthy fear of the Lord? And does our nation have a healthy fear of the Lord? So the sermon title today, who's in charge around here? Who's in charge? Um, I want to ask you a little trivia question. You'll be thinking about this as we get to um, the the scripture reading. But when Jesus was doing his ministry, okay, after his baptism and before his ascension into heaven, when he was around here on earth, who had the greatest faith? Who had the greatest faith? Just a trivia question. Just be thinking about that. Go to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to do a little skimming to get to where we're going to get. Matthew chapter 1. So in order to know where we're going, we've got to see where we've been. All right, so Matthew one, okay, starts out the genealogy of Christ, the birth of Christ. All right, so I'm going to go about ninety miles an hour. You follow up, keep up with me. Matthew chapter two, the only account we have of the wise men coming and, and visiting him um, at the house, not at the manger. Correct, right? Good theology says he was at the house. He was, he was uh, not, a, not at at the manger, not the night of his birth. They came later. Um, and, and I believe the reason they gave these gifts is it funded the trip that they needed to make to Egypt because Herod comes and, and, uh, and just massacres all the little children. It's just terrible. But, but they, they go to Egypt and then they, they return. And then, um, in, in Matthew chapter three, John the Baptist is introduced and, and he baptizes Jesus and then, then we see Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 being tempted, all right, and, and uh, without sin. He didn't fail. He didn't fall. And um, and then he begins his ministry, latter part of, of chapter 4. He calls his first disciples. Now, we know he came out of Nazareth, right? And he went up just a little ways up to Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. So he starts, he starts up there. He starts calling his first disciples. We know some of them were fishermen, right? He says, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. All right. And so he calls them. And then you see in Matthew chapter five, for you guys familiar with the Bible, the, the great sermon on the mount, he takes a huge amount of people up on uh, up on the mountain there and he and he speaks to them and he didn't need a microphone. He didn't need a sound system because the place there was almost like an amphitheater. But all of these people, Sermon on the Mount, he's speaking to them about love, about murder, about how you should love your enemy. Um, prayer. He taught about prayer and fasting in Matthew chapter 6 and and um and and the golden rule, judging others. You know, he starts talking, he tells a parable in, in Matthew chapter 7, and he's teaching them on this on this mountain. Now you can just think about it. Um here he is with all these people. And then when it's done, Matthew chapter 8, he comes off the mountain. And this is where we're going to be today, Matthew chapter 8. He came off that mountain, Matthew 8, verse 1. He says, when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. So they, they, they were so enamored with what he was speaking that they followed him down this mountain. Behold, a leper came. Now, if anybody could get a, a multitude to scatter, who would it be? A leper. You did not come in contact with a leper because you would get it. And so this leper came and worshipped him saying, Lord, if you are willing. Look at what he says. I love this. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Can you imagine what all of those people saw at that moment? A leper being healed. Somebody you didn't come in contact with was healed. Now, Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way. Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And I would ask you, please stand as we read. This is the main text we're going to be looking at this morning, Matthew 8. Verse 5 and following. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so it, let it be done for you. And his servant was healed at that same hour. God, thank you for your word. Lord, I, I ask that you would teach us about faith, that you would teach us about authority. Lord, there are things that can be controlling us in our homes, ourselves, things that are controlling in this nation that are not of you. And we ask, God, that we would place you in authority, you in control, so that we may do your will. Lord, teach us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe have, have you ever asked yourself, how can I get more faith? Well, then the question you got to ask is, why are you asking that question? You know, I've always heard faith is a muscle to be exercised. And as you exercise it, it gets bigger and bigger, the more faith that you can have. But are you asking for more faith for somebody else to say, wow, man, he is, a, he is a great man of faith. Or ladies, wow, she is such a woman of faith. Is it for that reason? I hope not. I think there's a reason why we should ask for more faith. And hopefully we'll see that as we go on. But faith and authority. Let's see how they're linked in this. I had a question. What did... The people see in this centurion as he came up. Now, remember, they just came off the mountain, you know, thousands of people up on this mountain. Now, if you gather thousands of people at an amphitheater, like say down here for a concert, who's gonna show up? The police, right? They're gonna make sure that there's order. Is that right? I'm thinking, you have a crowd of this many people on a, you know, with a sermon going on, the, the centurions, the Roman you know, legionnaires, they're going to make sure that they're not forming to kind of overthrow anything or they're not forming to rally in a, in a bad way. So I'm thinking there were some centurions or some uh, legionnaires all around this this area in the sermon. I'm wondering, don't know for a fact, but I'm wondering if the centurion maybe heard some of the things Jesus had been saying. Love your enemies. Hmm. Maybe. Not sure. But I'm just thinking. What did the people though see in this centurion as he comes up? It's almost like if we saw a state trooper coming up and, 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 you know, before Jesus and, oh wow, okay, the state trooper. You know, there's two things they could see. Okay, one's a soldier, obviously. Okay, he's all geared up. He's got his uniform on. And they see the authority. Okay, this is the law keeper. Alright, this is the one that makes sure there's law and order going on in, in any situation. So here the crowd sees this centurion coming up to Jesus and they're like, whoa, alright, this guy's coming up to, you know, I wonder if, the, you know, he's gonna reprimand Jesus in any way or stop talking, doing something in, a, in an interesting way. So, you know, here's the crowd who sees this person with, you know, with a lot of clout, alright, authority in that area. All right, if a centurion told you to do something, you were doing it. All right, so the centurion comes up. And we know a centurion is is over about a 100, okay, of soldiers. And then in a legion, they have about 5,000 soldiers. Um, and, And so the centurion, he was... You know, there was um, uh, Polybius, he was a Greek historian. He wrote this about centurions. In choosing their centurions, the Romans look not so much for the daring or fire-eating type, but rather for men who are natural leaders and possess a stable and imperturbable temperament, not men who will open the battle and launch attacks, but those who will stand their ground even when worsted or hard-pressed, and will die in defense of their posts. And these centurions, they were smart men, okay? They weren't just going off of emotion, all right? They were men that reasoned. And so here's the centurion that comes up. Um, and, and so the, the, obviously the people had their, their um, prejudices or their mindsets um, toward the centurion, but what did this centurion see in Jesus? What did he see in Jesus? I think there were two things that, that this centurion saw in Jesus. One was a healer. Okay, There had to be somewhere along the line that this centurion, to make him come up to Jesus and ask and plead about healing his servant, there must have been something he saw. And it could quite possibly have been this leper. That was just right before this. Wow. To see a leper go from having leprosy to not having leprosy as a centurion, I might go, wow, well this, my servant is, is hurting at home. Let me go ask Jesus. Let me go ask Jesus and see. And so he sees a healer. But you know what? Better than that, this centurion saw him as an authority. For you to command leprosy to come out of somebody, there's a certain authority that this man had. And Centurion saw it and, said, and he's a smart man. Well, you must be in it, some type of authority because I'm seeing this and, and I, you know, and it's happening. And so, so he sees him as an authority. Here is what Let's see what Jesus saw in the centurion. This is what I love. First thing that Jesus sees in this centurion, I believe, is love. Because if that Roman centurion didn't love his servant, why would he go and ask for healing? This centurion loved his servant and felt badly for the position that he was in, look what. Look at what it said in Matthew 8 there. It said, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. He loved his servant. He wanted to seek the best, the help, what he needed. I guess that begs the question of us. If we're in a position of authority, no matter what kind of authority it is, are we seeking the best? Are we seeking the best for them? That centurion was. He went to the man, the authority over disease and wanted the best. Or do we maybe look at needs around us, especially of the spiritually hurt, oppressed, and hungry, and if they offend us, we shun them. But maybe they're just needing the Lord. You ever been out to eat and your service, your waiter or waitress, it was just the worst experience you've ever had? Do we shun them? Say, I'm not giving them a tip. I'm never coming back here again. Or do we see, do we have a general love for people to see past the hurt they might cause us? and Say, man, are they spiritually hungry? Are they hurting? Are they being tormented? Are they paralyzed from what the enemy is doing to them? The centurion had love for this servant. Do we have love for others around us and want to get the best for them? Do we want the great physician to heal these people? If you're in here and you have an enemy And you can think of an enemy in your mind and you would think, man, I don't want the Lord to save that person. Wow, be careful. Because that's the kind of thing that won't allow you into heaven. When you judge somebody like that. We should love people past what they do to us. Isn't that what Jesus did? When he went to the cross, these people, and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Could you, in the worst experience of being out to eat, say, Father, forgive them. They're hurting. Lord, would you, would you touch them? Would you use me to help them know the truth, to help them know the healer? What about surrender? I think Jesus looked at this centurion. He saw surrender. This was a man of authority. And he looked at Jesus and said, I'm not worthy to even, for you to come over to my house. I'm not worthy of that. Well, how, how do we approach God? Do we approach God in a surrender manner? Do we, do we approach God with a lowly state? Matthew Henry said this about this, this part of the centurion. In all our approaches to Christ and to God through Christ, it becomes us to abase ourselves and to lie low in the sense of our own unworthiness. As mean creatures and as vile sinners, to do anything for God, to receive any good from Him, or to have anything to do with Him. You know what Matthew Henry's saying basically? You and me, we're a hot mess. <laughs> we are a hot mess. And for us to be able to even approach God with a request, wow. This centurion came and said, "I'm not I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy for you to come to my house." I think Jesus also saw humility in him. Humility. Think about this. The centurion, the leader of a hundred soldiers, saw their leader, their commander, their centurion go before another man from Nazareth and need help. Centurions didn't do that. Centurions were, they were the commanders. Think of the humility from all his other um, soldiers. Wow. Wow. But this centurion believed. He had faith. And what did Jesus respond with? He marveled. He marveled. Do you know there's only two times that I know of when Jesus was doing his ministry that he marveled? One was right here. At such a great faith that he looked at all these others, even Jews among them, And said, I've never seen such great faith in all of Israel than this man right here. Well, there's the answer to your trivia question. Who had the greatest faith while Jesus was doing his ministry? He said, I've not seen such great faith than in this centurion, this Gentile. He had the greatest faith. The other time he marveled was when he went back to his hometown and they're like, wait, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this the one that we knew growing up, or him growing up? And it says he marveled at their lack of faith. You want Jesus to go, wow, I hope it's the good way and not the bad way. Could you imagine? Your faith being so great for Him to look at you and go, wow, man, I would love for Jesus to do that with me. Show Him great faith. Show Him great faith. Those four things, selfishness, doubt, time, fear. If you ask the Lord, say, remove those things from me, Lord. Remove those things from me anything that would be a hindrance in me doing your work, that's a step. That's a step. Think, I, I, I marvel at the military. A lot of us are, you know, a lot of you here are military. When you were told to do something, did you question it? Uh Sir, I don't know if that's the best course of action. In my line of thinking, I think if we did this, Maybe that would be a better route. What did you say? Yes, sir. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yes, I will do this. The Lord is the commander in chief. He's our authority. And when he tells us to do something, what would we do? We would do that opposite of faith. We would be selfish. No. No. I've got things under control. I'm the better commanding officer here. I doubt that can happen. I don't see it happening. I don't have time to do that, Lord. Sorry. I'm afraid, what is this going to cost me if I do this, Lord? If you're telling me to do this, that's going to cost a lot. My time, my money, my, oh. See, see how faith and authority work? You know, go back to Matthew 8 on uh, the verse 9. As I've been studying this passage for the last few weeks, and God's really just been teaching me and impressing and, and this on my heart, there's something that I just didn't quite understand. Verse 9 says, For I also am a man under authority... Having soldiers under me, you know, and I say to this one, go and does, does all that. Does that look strange? Anything look strange to you in that? For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I I'm, was. I'm, it just shouldn't that read? For also, I am a man in authority, having soldiers under me. Right. But he says, I also am a man under authority. Now, two things here. One could be it's, it's trying to mean he's under authority of the one that's in charge of the legion, right? He's under authority, so when somebody tells him what to do, he says yes, and he would be the one serving and going and doing but I didn't understand that in this context because he's talking about himself saying, I'm also a man in authority. I have men under me and they go and say, you know, do what I tell them to do. So I thought of something else. What if it's meaning here, I've got the authority of the entire Roman Empire behind me. What I say goes. To my men. And guess what? If you question it, I've got thousands of men behind me that's gonna make it happen. I've got a crest on my uniform that tells me, when you get stopped by a police officer, (laughs) if you get into an altercation with that police officer, what's gonna happen? There's gonna be more, more police officers coming. If you decide, I'm going to go my way when the lights are on behind you, I'll just keep going. What's going to happen? More police cars are coming up behind you, and they will get you to do it. There is an authority behind this centurion. He says, I know what it's like in authority. I've got the entire Roman army behind me. But then he looks at Jesus and says, you're a man in authority. You've got the heavenly kingdom of God behind you. And I want to follow that. Because when you say, demon, get out, it will go. When you say, disease, leave, it will go. And that's the authority that I want to be under. Amen. This centurion saw something bigger than his Roman army. And it was all from authority. How awesome to know that our faith, when God asks us to do something, we're backed by the one who commands everything. The entire heavenly realm. And I love it in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission when Jesus says, I've been given all the authority. Just in case you had a question. Just in case you wondered. Yeah, Jesus backed it up and said, I have been given that authority. So what I ask you to do, do it. And watch what will happen. came across a story of a, some of you might be enthusiasts of, of the Civil War, um, Gettysburg, uh, things of that nature. But I came across a story. There was a man and he was, he had died on that battlefield along with over 3,000 Union soldiers. Yet he, his uniform was not marked. They didn't know his name. And he probably would have died and they would have left him laying there and would have buried him and, and there was thousands of people missing that they didn't, they weren't marked on their uniform. But something set this man apart. He was laying dead there and there was a picture laying on top of him. And it was this picture right here. This picture right here, obviously, they were his children. He had died looking at these three children. But nobody knew who he was. Well, there was a man, uh, Dr. Francis Bourne, and he came across, he was tending um, you know all those that were wounded, he was a doctor helping out after the battle, and he found this, and this is called an ambrotype because it wasn't there wasn 't photography then it was an ambrotype picture, and he found it, and he was just intrigued by this. he wanted to find out who this man was, and so as it went, it started circulating all throughout the north and uh, they printed in, a, in an article in the, I think it was the Philadelphia Inquirer, and they printed how he was found, and that it was a picture, and in the Inquirer, that, that newspaper couldn't print pictures that day and age, and so people were reading about this story and the story, and, and it wound up, the article came across this soldier's wife, and It sounded, might have been, might have been his three kids. So she wrote to Dr. Bourne. She said, would you send me a picture? And I couldn't imagine when she received that letter and saw her three kids knowing that her husband at that point was confirmed dead. He was missing all that time. I think about this picture. This man, he did what his commanding officer said. You get out on that battlefield and you fight for the Union Army. And he went out with his gun and he did battle as best he could. But he was shot, wounded, and had enough time to look at his children as he was dying. Is that not? what Jesus did for us? Jesus was a man under authority because we see in Philippians chapter 2 he humbled himself to become obedient even to death on a cross for you and for me. And while he was on that cross I can just imagine him seeing the countless people that would one day believe in his name accept him as Savior And become part of his army. An army that with great faith, we would trust his word to go do what he wants us to do for building his kingdom. For building up for him. Not for us. You say, why more faith? So you can get more assignments from him. Do you want to do his will? You'll ask for his assignments. And when he gives you an assignment, when you finish that, he's like, wow. I'm going to give you another one. Watch this. When you do that, wow. Okay, let me give you another one. Wow. What is it right now in your life that requires faith? Because he wants to give you an assignment. But you have to look at him as the authority. You have to be doing what he wants you to do. Here's the question if he's not your commanding officer, if he's not your authority, what or who is? That's what you got to ask. Could it be work? Could it be emotions? Could it be food? Could it be time? I I don't have time for any of this. This is my time. Or I don't have time. How about the digital world of distraction? Could that be getting in the way of the Lord saying, I want you to do this, but you're You're just not ready. I love the Coast Guard. Their their motto, always ready. Always ready. Are you ready? The centurion knew who the authority was. The question is, are you willing to let him be your master? If you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, today's the day to do that. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. If you've been the master and commanding officer of your life, it's time to let go. Let him be your commanding officer. Let's take that step of faith. See what he can do, what he will do. I love what the, the choir sang here earlier. Um, it was once I tried to use him. Now he uses me. I cried out for healing. Now the healer is my need. I looked in vain for wisdom. Now I search his word for truth. I worked so hard to please him. But in him, the work is through. Not because of what he gives. Just because of who he is. This invitation is for you. If you've been master and you need to give up. Surrender. Do what the centurion did. Humble yourself. Put your faith in the Lord. I don't care if you've been a part of this church for 50, 60 years and, and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ. I heard a story of a, of a a person that went through all their life in in the church. And the pastor was at the, the bedside near the end of her life. And, and he said... Tell me your story. Tell me your testimony. How did you accept Christ as your savior? And that person said, "How dare you ask me that?" What? Thank God. That person eventually surrendered. And that pastor led that person to the Lord. Doesn't matter. Did you hear the warning? What he said after the centurion, he said, there's going to be people that are going to outer darkness. He said, the sons. Do you realize who he meant? Those Jewish people that think they were just riding to heaven on coattails. He said, you're going to have to place your faith in Jesus. That's what matters. Don't run. Don't keep running. He wants to be the commanding officer. Be willing to submit and surrender. God, God, in this place today, do only the work that you can do. Drawing people to yourself. Lord, if people need to confess what's been controlling them, and lay it here at the altar. Lord, for you to work and heal, just like you did heal that servant. Paralyzed, tormented. God, I pray that people who are here being tormented, tormented paralyzed, being controlled. Lord, I pray this will be the day that you just move inside them and you would be that commanding officer, Lord. Have your will and way in this time, in Jesus' name. Amen.